Good morning. You guys are all very well behaved and nice and quiet. <laughs> you all doing good? Y'all doing good? Isn't that how we speak? Oh, there we go. Look, oh, I'm getting promoted to the uh, <laughs> yeah, the transparent one. Look at that. That's impressive. Well, it's great to be with you guys. I'm uh, from, it's kind of confusing, but I'm from England originally. Anyone ever been to Liverpool in England? No? Somebody over there? Come on. You heard of the Beatles, yeah? The Beatles, the pop group. That's where they're from. And also, so I, I've been living, I moved away from there when I was 25 years of age, 26 years of age. I went to live in London where I met my beautiful wife who's from Ireland. So I went to live in Ireland once we got married and I've been living in Ireland for the past 14 years. And then in 2000 and, uh, what are we on? 2009, 2018, just last year, the Lord moved us to the beautiful America, beautiful United States. So we live in Washington State is where we're at now. Been there since December, loving it. We're connected with a local church that we're partnered with. So when I'm not traveling, we work with a local church and we kind of just equip uh, the believers in evangelism. That's kind of what we're about, you know. But our ministry, Jesus at the door, and it's just a simple way of sharing the gospel through nine points. Each of the points were given to me on the street by the Holy Spirit. I worked as an, as an evangelist, a street evangelist. I don't really like using that phrase, street evangelist, because what happens is people kind of think you can only do it on the streets. But that's how it was birthed on the streets, and we use this tool as a way of sharing the gospel with friends, family, strangers, whoever you want to be. Hey, nice to see you. So that's the idea of the whole thing, yeah? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to launch in and explain what I feel the Lord wants uh, me to give to you guys this morning. Does that sound good? Okay. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you have something you want to say to us this morning. So, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us. I pray you'd open our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. We love you, Jesus. I pray you'd be exalted in this place, Lord, above all. Holy Spirit, would you help us to lift up the name of Jesus? Thank you for the gospel. Thank you. The same gospel that changed our lives is changing lives today. We love you. We praise you. Give you all the glory and all the praise. And everybody said, amen. Now, I'm going to read to you a little from Luke chapter 5. I've got a couple of different scriptures that I'm going to look at, and I'm going to just flick between them. But Luke chapter 5 is where I first want to begin. This is a passage that is called the first disciples in Luke chapter 5. It says this, one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats near the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought the partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. 
You know, in 2000, um, 2010, I was living in Ireland and I, I decided that I would go into the streets of my town. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that I was called, like everybody, to be an evangelist. You see, the great commission that we read in Matthew 28, 19, it wasn't given to evangelists. It was given to disciples. So if you're a disciple, you're called to go make disciples as much as the evangelists are. So I, I knew that God wanted me to share, you know, because he's, he's called us all to be fishers of men. So I, I decided that I would go and do it. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So for a couple of years, I went in obedience and I stood outside uh, a ta the town center in, my t in a town called Coleraine, where I'm from in Ireland. And I just stood there and I didn't really know what I was doing. So what I did, I bought a little speaker kind of about this high, and it was uh, with my first wages that I got a new job, I went and bought it, and it was, uh, it was what they call a DJ cube. Now, I didn't really know much of it. I'm not very technical, so I didn't really know what it did. All I thought is that it gives me a microphone and, you know, a bit of a speaker so I can sort of street preach, you know. Now, again, I was fumbling in the dark. There was nobody modeling it to me, so I just thought I'd just try anything. So I brought this speaker, not really knowing what it did, went outside uh, onto the streets and began to speak. And what I realized, what, the reason it was called a DJ cube is because what it did, just like a DJ, you know, you go to it, has anyone ever been to a disco or like a party, yeah? And what happens is the DJ is like, yeah, welcome everybody, okay, and we're going to put on the next song. Make sure you all get warmed up because I want to see your funky moves on the dance floor. And this kind of thing, yeah? And then what happens is when he pauses, the music kicks in, you know what I mean? And then he speaks again, okay, that's great, and I want to see everybody, I mean everybody at the back on the floor right now, come on. It will kick back in. So this is what happened. So I'm kind of preaching, and as I'm preaching, and I'm like, Jesus loves you, and then the music's kicking in when I'm not speaking, and I'm like, man, this is weird. So uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of interesting. So people got to know me as the guy who was like, you know, the DJ preacher kind of thing. So it was interesting and fun. But I learned a lot of things through this time, and uh, most importantly, what I really learned was this. I realized that I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, I probably gave every Saturday of my, uh, for, the, for those two years, pretty much every week. I went there and did this thing. And I've got to be honest, I only saw one person come to Jesus in two years. But it's funny how it works because the Lord, he requires our obedience. And often God will say, well, give me your obedience first and then I'll give you something. Because God, he, the Lord's more interested in your heart, isn't he? You know, the Bible tells us that he looks at the heart of a man, not what's on the outside. So, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure the whole of heaven was laughing in my, uh, in my DJ cube moments. And maybe there was a party going on too in heaven, you know what I mean? But the, the funny thing is, is that God doesn't really mind. All, he, all he's looking at is, where's your heart for me? So anyway, long story short, I do this for two years. And then I get employed a, a couple of years later by a local church. And they say, go and stand on the street and talk to Jesus all day, every day. About, uh, uh, talk to people all day about Jesus and we'll pay you. And I was like, are you serious? You're going to pay me to, to stand on a street and just talk to strangers about Jesus. I'm like, is that even legal? And they, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll pay you to do it. And I'm like, that's crazy. Okay, where do I sign? So I went and I stood on the street and something shifted. Something happened, just like Peter. You see, Peter had been out fishing all night, all night fishing. And then he comes back onto the shore and he's deflated and he's disappointed. Has anyone ever been out fishing for men, fishing for souls? Anyone ever been out sharing the gospel and you didn't catch? You didn't see anybody come to Jesus? And you feel a little disappointed. 
you feel a little deflated. You're like, man, I wish I kind of had seen something. Well, Peter was like that. He went out fishing for fish, came back to the shore, and he's deflated. He's tired. He's disappointed. And what happens is he meets Jesus there. And Jesus says, hey, lift up, lift up your chin. Chin up, lad. What's the problem? Go back out there and fish again. And you'll catch a lot of fish. Just go and do it again. And he's like, Jesus, I've, I did it all night. Do you not understand? You're not listening. I've been there the whole night. I didn't catch anything. Jesus said, that's okay. Just go back again. So Peter's like, what? This doesn't make any sense. So he goes back. Now, what I want to tell you is this. He went back to the same patch of water. You see, there weren't any different fish there 24 hours earlier. The same fish was still living in the same waters. It was the same water with the same fish. What was, cha- what was different? There's only one thing that was different. This is what it was. Peter went the second time in partnership. That's what's different. You see, the first time he's out fishing alone. He's just doing his thing. He's working hard, you know, getting his head down, trying to do his best. But the second time he goes in partnership. Now, you see, the difference is when you go in partnership, everything changes because wherever there is partnership, there is power. And we're called, all of us, all of us disciples, if you're a disciple here, you're called to go make disciples, to go and fish for men, okay? But you have a power that comes when you partner, if you partner. And I began to realize that that's what I was doing wrong. You see, what I didn't do the first time around was, was partner. And what Peter did, he heard the word and he went in partnership with the word, the word that became flesh. See, whenever you go with the word, things will happen. And what was the word for your life? The word was go and make disciples. You know, I meet people who say, man, if I get a word, I'm going to go. And you, they'll stand around in coffee shops, doing coffee shop prophecies and all these kind of things. Um, people that are, okay, give me a word, God, and I'll go. But what I'm trying to tell people is he's already given you a word, and it was go. So you don't need to stand around and wait for a word when you've been given the word. We have no excuse, really. We have no reason to wait anymore because God has given us what we need. So the Lord wants to partner with you, every single one of you guys. He's not looking for any special kind of Uh, person to partner with. You see, partnership is very beautiful and very powerful, but it is about the other partner who brings the beauty and the power. What you do is you bring the obedience. You just turn up. What did Peter do? He just turned up. Okay, I'll I'll come because you've told me to come here. So he sits there in his boat, throws the nets, and what happens? The fish, the nets can't contain the catch. It is so great. They have to bring other boats and other fishermen have to come and help them because the, the catch is so great. And what a beautiful picture of evangelism. Like when we begin to partner, it gets just so, the catch becomes so great that we can't deal with it. And what I love about this image and this story here is that God will use the most ordinary, the most rough around the edges, hot-headed individuals. I mean, Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen were like rough around the edges. He was a hot, he was a hot head, you know what I mean? We, learnt, we read a lot about Peter. He was a kind of, you know, he was a bit uh, impulsive. He always, you know, he had like foot and mouth disease. Uh, you know what I mean? He was a bit of a, it was a bit of a rogue, wasn't he? But God uses people like that. Why? Because he's not looking at the outside. He's saying, hey, will you partner with me? If you'll, will, if you'll put your hand up and say, I'll partner, he'll have you. You know, And I love that about Jesus. He's like, the people we read in the Bible, they weren't all neat and tidy, you know, in a box with the ribbon on. They were kind of a little bit rough around the edges, a little bit messy. And that's how God used them because it's about his power. And we read another story like that also if you flick to John chapter 4. 
we read the story of the woman at the well. You guys are familiar with the story of the woman at the well. And what happened with this lady is she was a shame-scarred lady. She was living in the shadow, hiding in the shadows and masking her face. She was a lady that lived a promiscuous lifestyle, very ashamed of her life. And what happened? She's just doing her thing. She goes, every day she has a routine. This is what she does. She goes from her home to the well. The well is the place where she drew her water. So that was like her sustenance, her everyday necessity that she needed, like an addict who needed needed his fix. She didn't want to go to the well because she was embarrassed of her life. So what she did, she went in the midday sun. She went when it was like noon, 12 noon. So the, the sun was like 100, uh, the heat was like 120 degrees plus. So she decided, I'll go when nobody's there, then I won't have to kind of see anybody and I won't have to kind of uh, be embarrassed. So she goes hood up, hiding in the shadows to get her, her water. This was her routine every day. She didn't even want to be there, but she had to go because she needed it. So she goes back and to, back and to, from the house to the water, the house to the water. That's it. What did Peter do as a fisherman? As a fisherman, he went from the boat, catching the fish, to his house. Back to the boat, back to, the, uh, back to home. Back to the fish, back to home. That was just this, this back and forth, back and forth. Just like the woman at the well. What do we do in our lives? Are we kind of living a life? Do we go and we, we provide, we go to our office, we work, we get our paycheck, we come home to the family, we go and we work, we come home to the family. You know, these are all honorable things. Or oh, we're, we're a mum. We look after our kids through the day or we take them to school. You know, we have these routines that we just go back and forth and back and forth. Now, the problem is with some of these routines is that they, they kind of, um, they outline our identity. These, these routines, these lives that we live, these patterns that we live, they tell us who we are and, and what we are called to. So we can look at these things that we do and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for. Where actually I believe that there is a greater identity to your life than just, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to provide for my family, I'm going to uh, feed the kids, I'm going to go, go to school. You know, you know what I mean? There's more than this routine. There's a greater identity that you have, but you're only going to receive it when you enter into partnership. You see, what many believers do is this, is they go to the shore and they stay on the shore and they camp on the shore. They never go into the deep. Just like Jesus was saying to Peter, he's like, bring your, bring your boat out into the deep. But you see, on the shore, where we read here in, John chapter, uh, in Luke chapter 5, as Jesus was preaching on the shore, great crowds pressed in on him to hear. Now, on the shore is where everybody likes to hear because it is safe. You're not going to get bitten by any sharks. You're not going to drown on the shore. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's safe. It's a safe place. Do you see how... There were multitudes on the shore hearing the word of God because people like to be on the shore hearing because it's safe. But there wasn't so many out in the deep. But what Jesus said is take your boat and go out in the deep because out in the deep is where you do what Jesus did. If you want to do what Jesus did, you've got to be in the deep. You see, when Jesus hangs out and he goes for an evening stroll, I'm going to tell you this, he, you won't find him on the shore with his toes in the sand. That's not what he'll do. What Jesus does when he's out having a walk is you'll find him in the middle of the storm. If he goes for an evening stroll, he goes out right in the swell of the storm. How do I know? I know because I read it in Matthew 14 where we read about Jesus went up to pray and the disciples go on the boat and they enter into a storm and they begin to panic. And as they're crying out, we're going to die, we're going to die, they look and they see somebody coming and say, it's a ghost. 
Look, it's a ghost. And they begin to panic. And then they realize it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. Jesus is walking towards them on the storm. You guys familiar with the story? And what happens? He says, Peter, Peter says, is that you, Lord? And he says, yeah, it's me. Peter says, if it's you, then bid me come out onto the water. So Jesus says, okay, let's go. Come on, come out. You see, when you're in the deep, you can do what Jesus does. So he says, man, I'm going. And Peter steps out onto the water and begins to walk on water. You can't do that from the shoreline. You see, if you stay on the shore, you're going to miss the adventure. And what many believers want to do is, is hear from the shore instead of doing the deep. And we're missing this incredible adventure. So what we do is we camp on the shore and say, man, I'm just going to stay here. Because you don't realize that you've been invited into this partnership. But if you're going to accept the invitation, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to actually do something. You're going to have to leave the shore and go into the deep and trust him. Now, I know it's scary because, believe me, I've been, I've been in that situation where I'm on the shore and I'm like, man, I don't think I can go out there. But I've realized something wonderful. Are there any fishermen here? Okay. So I'm not a fisherman, but I kind of, the, the Lord speaks to me in strange ways, uh, pictures and different things, and then I look into it and find out. So I found out this really, really cool thing. There's a device called a, a fish finder. This like sonar device. So it's basically cheating, yeah? You can, you can cheat fish, uh, uh, cheating, uh, fishing for cheats. So what you do is you, this sonar device, it tells you like where the fish are. So you can, uh, you can find out, saves a lot of work. You can be back by tea time, you know what I mean? It's easy. So you go and you do that, yeah. But what's really interesting about a fish finder is this. It only, the power only kicks in the deeper you go. So the deeper you go, the more power will kick in. When you're on the shore, no power. But as soon as you begin to go into the deep, in comes the power. And it is like that with the gospel. It is like that in partnership with Jesus. You see, often what, we, what we'll do is we'll come to conferences and we'll come to church and we'll say, God, I, I, you know, you'll get really into the zone. You'll be at a weekend conference. Is it just me? Anyone ever been to a, a conference? Okay, come on. I know Christians love conferences. So you go to a conference, you get, you get really into it, you get all these big speakers come from all over, they really fire you up, they get you hyped up, you're like, come on man, I'm going to take the world for Jesus. And as you're there, you're like, God, if you just give me more power, then I'm going to go. Give me more and I'll go. But you see, the kingdom of God is upside down. He says, you go and I'll give you more power. Because it is in the going and it is in the trusting that the power kicks in because this partnership is about trust. You can't be in partnership if you don't trust. Otherwise, what you're doing, and the problem where we all fall short is we look at ourselves too much instead of looking at him. And what happened? Exactly what happened with Peter. He's on the water, walking on the water. What happened? He looked at himself instead of looking at Jesus, and he began to sink. You see, whenever you take your eyes off him, you'll sink, and you won't even get off the shore unless you put your eyes on him. You need to begin to put your eyes and focus your eyes on him. I want to encourage you that Jesus wants to use all of us. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter how rough around the edges. You can be a, a brute fisherman. You can be a promiscuous lady who lived a crazy life. But what I believe God wants to do is give you your true identity. And honestly, you know, you may say you're biased, you're an evangelist. But honestly, I believe this, that we are all called to do the work of an evangelist. You see, the Great Commission wasn't given to, this, to, uh, to evangelists. It was given to disciples. I believe we're all called for this thing. I promise you. And I haven't, I didn't like, you know, I didn't get saved saying, I'm going to be an evangelist. This is what I'm going to do. 
that wasn't who I was, you know what I mean? That wasn't what I was looking for. I had a different agenda. It was the Lord who kind of <laughs> pushed me over to this, this place. But I wasn't looking for it, but I realized the closer I got to him, the more that this felt like the right thing for me to do. But he wants to call you into this place of adventure, and it can only happen if you will be willing to partner with him. You see, what's amazing about both Peter and the woman at the well is when their true identity was revealed, it changed everything. I mean, look at this guy. He becomes the rock. He becomes, you know, the rock of the church. The church of Jesus Christ was built upon this fisherman. Like, isn't that crazy? And then look at the woman at the well, yeah? So a shame-scarred lady hiding hiding in the shadows, masking her face. All she ever did was go from home to water, home to water, and then sleep with men. That's kind of all she was doing. Until one encounter. One encounter with the Messiah. What happened? Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah which is a unique, uh, a unique moment in Scripture. He says to this one lady, I am the Messiah. Beautiful kingdom moment. And that was it. What happened? She ch- everything changed. Everything changed. What happened to him? He's fishing. He catches all the fish. And he's like, God, look, gee, I'm sorry, Lord. What have I done? I've just, you know, he realized in this moment, there was a, a revelation moment of like, who am I with right here, right now? She had a revelation moment. I'm the Messiah. What did she do? Her whole identity changed overnight. Like literally in a moment. She left her water, the thing that she built her life around. Her kind of, I'm going to work, provide for my family, uh, take the kids to school. That whole thing, that whole identity thing. It was gone. Suddenly it didn't really mean as much as it meant to her before. Because she realized there's a greater calling. There's a, there's a higher calling and a different identity. This didn't sum up who she was. So what did she do? She left that thing that she thought that this is who she was. And she went and did the unthinkable. She went and told the men, probably many she'd slept with. She went and told the men in the city, the people she couldn't even face. She went straight to them, running to them and said, hey, you got to come and meet this man. This man, I think he's the Messiah. He told me everything about my life. you got to come. And what happens? They come. She does the work of an evangelist immediately. Now, she didn't sit under any great teacher's. She didn't listen to any podcasts of any great evangelists who were rocking the world. All she did was have one revelation, and it changed her life. Same with him. And I want to tell you this. It can be the same for you. If you remember the moment Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah, do you guys remember that moment? It's kind of easy to forget because if you've been a believer for a long time, and you're like, man, this is just what I do, come to church, whatever. But can you remember how it felt to be lost? Can you remember how it felt for him to rescue you? Can you remember when he said, I'm the Messiah? What did that do to you? I guarantee you told more people about Jesus than you do now. Because this is what happens. When you meet him, you get filled. And whatever fills you, spills out you. So when you get so filled to him, it's just going to be pouring out of you. And I guarantee you told more people about Jesus than you do now. Because as time goes by, we get a little bit stagnant. And we kind of get used to it and we get a bit stuffy and a bit dusty and a bit rusty. And we just don't start talking as much as we used to. But if we could get back to that place of revelation where Jesus calls us again, where he reminds us that he's the Messiah, would you not give up everything for that higher calling? Would you not, you know, I'm not saying don't feed your kids. I'm not saying don't go to work and provide for your family. That's an honorable thing. But I'm saying there's more than that. That is not who you are. That is not your identity. It's what you do, but it's not who you are. There is something that is greater, that is that God has a greater calling. You can do this, you see. You can uh, honor God in this way. You can fish for men while still being a, a businessman, 
or still being a mother looking after your kids. You can still fish for men. You can still do the work of an evangelist while you're still doing uh, an honorable job. You can do both. It's not one or the other. And I believe God wants to take you into that place. And I, honestly, from my personal life, I, when I came to know Jesus, I, was, I came from a music background. Many years ago, I was in a boy band. I played alongside the Backstreet Boys and all these famous bands. I was offered a record deal by Simon Cowell. I wrote, a, I wrote a song. He said, this is a number one record. Then he brought me to London and auditioned me and my band in the same studios where the Spice Girls auditioned. Uh, I was in magazines, television. We were like on the way to becoming the next big boy band along with these other famous bands. And this is kind of the lifestyle I was in. This is all I wanted. This was my whole dream in life. I was a songwriter. Music was all it was about. Then when I came to know Jesus, all I did, I thought, man, I'm just going to transfer this from secular uh, to sacred, you know what I mean? I just like from the, the secular world to the Christian music. So I thought I'd just do that. And the Lord was like, no, 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 that's not what I've got for you. So I'm like really working hard. I'm like writing all these songs. I'm trying to be like the next Christian pop star thinking I'll just use my gift because I believe you've gifted me in this. So I'm going to use my gift. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin. But you see, the Lord was like, that's not who I've, that's not who I've made you to be. You know, I've got something else for you. And I, I didn't want to be an evangelist. I was like, you know, I like share, talking about Jesus, but I didn't want to give my whole life to, to this thing, man. I wanted to be a musician. But the Lord was calling me to a higher calling. You see, I thought my identity was a songwriter because since I was a kid, since like 14 years of age, that's all I'd ever done. So that was who people knew me as. That was kind of my identity. That's who I thought I was. But, but the Lord was saying, actually, I've got a higher calling for you. There's something else that I want you to do. And this will change your life and many other people's lives. And I believe the Lord has that for some of you guys. Well, for all of you, if you would accept it. I believe he has a higher calling for you. But in order to receive it, we've got to step out. We've got to step into the storm. You see, what often we do is when we're at the shore and we're hearing, we stay and we just hear and we get comfortable. But the reason that you hear is so that he can slingshot you into the swell of the storm. Why do we listen to the word of God? What's the point? It is so that he can stir something inside of us that causes a surrender. And in that surrender, he slingshots us into the swell of the storm. That's the whole point. You come to church. Why? So you can get fed. And then you go and give away what you've, what you've been given. That's the whole point of this thing. We don't just come, receive it, hear, and stay. What good is that to anybody? And I began to realize, you know, in my own life that um, as I got a bit further into this thing, I realized that God wanted me to not only share, but he wanted me to take it more seriously. So I began to do that. And... As I said, in 2014, I, I, work, I began to work full-time on the streets, and I began to see, I guess, what Peter saw. I began to see nets that couldn't contain the catch. We had a great catch. Thousands came to know Jesus. It was incredible. And this is where Jesus at the door was birthed. The Holy Spirit gave me each of the nine points as I was stood on the street, stopping strangers. He'd give me these phrases, and I would write them down on my phone, and, and then we put it into a card, and the card grew legs and ran around the world. And that's kind of how it was birthed just from standing on the street and, and just trying to be a fisher of men. You see, Jesus said to Peter, I'll make you a fisher of men. He thought, man, this is it. I've caught all the fish. This is like, I'm in business. I'm going to like change the fishing world. You know what I mean? I'll be on the front cover of Anglers Weekly. I'm going to like, I'm going to nail this thing, man. I'm going to be famous fisherman in no time. But Jesus, he was just showing him an example of what was to come. You see, it wasn't about fishing for fish. Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what many believers are doing is they're camping on the shore, fishing in the sand. But you're not going to catch any fish in the sand. You see, where do fish live? 
fish live in the water. So if we're going to catch fish, we're going to get out into the water. And I began to do that. I began to realize that I, I, as I was sharing, people were coming to know Jesus. And I found it was quite effortless. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was. You know, the woman at the well, she became the first New Testament evangelist. And she wasn't qualified, which is crazy. It shows you that all you've got to do is partner because there's power. It wasn't even down to her. It was down to his power. She wasn't qualified. And I began to do this, and God began to do some amazing things in our community. I'm going to share a couple of these stories with you. So there was one time I stopped a lady in our town, and, and as I said, the Lord gave me this, this picture and this whole thing. And I stopped this lady, and I said, excuse me, have you seen this picture before, and do you ever pray? This is the, the way that we begin our conversation. And, you know, the Lord has really anointed this image where people have, seen, people have looked at this image and began to cry and give the heart to Jesus just from looking at it. Like, it's crazy. I was in Los Angeles uh, a month in August. We put on an event in Los Angeles in downtown where we put a huge tent up and invited. Well, not invited. We went and got them. Uh, you know, we don't wait for the fish to jump in the boat. You know, we go and catch them. So we went out and we, and we went and we, we got people to come to our tent and hear the gospel. And during that time, we went around the streets of downtown LA. And I remember going up to this guy. There were these people sat on the floor in this kind of, in the hood area. And I went up and I showed them this picture. I said, have you seen that picture before? Do you pray? And this guy, this big dude, he was like sat down and he looked at the picture. He was like, and he took it off me, snatched it out of my hand. And he's like staring at it like this. So I'm trying to like share the gospel, but he's like, he can't even hear me. He's just like, whoa. And he's like, just like smiling at it. And he's like, man. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Can I tell you about it? And he's like, whoa. And he's just like locked in this like zone. I'm not exaggerating. He's like that for about five minutes, just like looking at it and like, yeah, whoa. And he's just like speaking to him, yeah? So I shared with him, and I tried to share with him. He had like a few friends here. So I shared with his friends. I prayed for his friends. And then he came out of his kind of trance-like state. And I'm like, do you want to come to our tent? And he's like, man, yeah, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there. So uh, we, we go to the tent, and he doesn't come. This is Friday evening. doesn't turn up. Saturday evening, he comes. I'm looking in the tent. I'm like, I recognize that dude at the back, but I didn't know where from because I'd spoke to a lot of people. So I go over to him, and I speak to him. I'm like, hey, man, where do I know you from? He's like, I, I was the guy that you spoke to yesterday. Uh, my name's DJ. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. So anyway, I do the altar call. I'm like, if you want Jesus, come to the front. And he comes to the front, and he just hugs me. This big guy's like six foot three, and he's like hugging me. And he's not letting go of me in front of everybody. Everybody, it's just that real powerful moment. It's like, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's just watching as this big guy just holding me and filling with tears as the power of God is like washing over him. And we, we took him uh, uh, as well as others and we baptized him right there and then in the fountain. There's a fountain in the park that I, I got in trouble for, <laughs> for after. But we did it anyway. But, you know, the amazing thing was like just from looking at that image, Changed his life. Isn't that crazy? That God could anoint something so powerfully. So anyway, I'm, I'm in my town in Ireland, and I show this image to a young lady. Uh, well, she wasn't that young. She's like mid-50s. And, uh, and she looks at the image, and she's like, and she says, look, I can't do this today. And she fills with tears, and she runs off down the street. Now, it was very awkward because she had her two kids with her. One was like 21, uh, 24, and the, others was like, uh, the other one was like 19. So the two kids are stood there looking at me. I'm looking at them, and it's like awkward because she's just run off. And they're like, uh, I think we better go too, you know. So they, they also run off, and I'm stood there. Now, 
I was training an American guy in Ireland. There was an American uh, guy who asked me to train him in this tool. So he was like being trained by me. So he's in the, in the background. He's in the wings like watching, you know, because I'd said, give me a minute. So he comes over and he's really enthused, over enthused. He's like, what's going on, man? What's going on? And I'm like, oh, they, they, these guys, they just ran off. I don't know what's happening. He's like, whoa. He's like, do you like respect them in this situation or do you run after them? You know, how do you handle this? Because you know, he's like drinking it all in, you know. He wants to know every little detail. Like, you know, what after breakfast? You know, how do you sleep? You know what I mean? All this kind of thing. So, so I'm kind of telling him. Uh, so I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, in my head I'm thinking, I've never been in this situation. But I'm trying to be a professional trainer, you know what I mean? And, uh, but it, in the end I just caved. I'm like, I've got to be honest, man. I don't know. I've never been in this kind of situation. I said, but I know what I'm going to do. And I just ran off and left him. And I ran after the lady. And compassion overwhelmed me, and I just put my arm around her, uh, and uh, she was crying with her daughter, hugging her daughter, crying. I said, look, I'm sorry. Uh, what happened? Did I say something? You know, what happened? She says, no. You see, my daughter was murdered um, many years ago. Today's Mother's Day. And when I kind of, when you stopped me and, and when you began to talk to me, I could feel that, that pain. Just touching that, touching that place. And I said, that's because Jesus loves you and he's trying to heal. He wants to bring healing uh, to your heart, you know. So I prayed. She accepted Jesus. Her name was Janet. She accepted Jesus right there and then, as did her daughter, Tanya. So they began to come to our church and our new believers group. We had a, a weekly new believers group every Thursday night where all these people who got saved, because we don't believe in, in, in just catching a fish and then throwing them back in the water. So when people come to know Jesus, we, we want to help them uh, grow in this relationship. So what we did is we, uh, we, bring them, we brought them into our home, and every Thursday evening we'd have a new believers group. It was like a, just this family group where we hang out and let the Holy Spirit be the star of the show. So it was like the book of Acts. I'm not kidding. It was crazy, man. Over these three years, we had like so many people. We had like over 300 people come from the streets into our home, into our church. It was crazy. And these are people from like crazy backgrounds. They're not like nice and neat and tidy. You know, they're like crazy. I was sharing uh, with, uh, with Pastor Travis some of the crazy stories we had like, you know, there was like two guys like making out in the front row at church and there's like uh, this, this one guy was a gangster. He got like, he'd been shot in the leg and uh, he lived this crazy life and he owned a bar, he owned a pub, you know. So he was on the front, uh, like second row. In our, we had a whole section in church, but basically, by the way, there was a whole section in church full of all these crazy people that got saved. So this was known as our kind of, our section. We called them the God Squad. This was our, our, our gang. It was like a holy gang, you know. So, uh, and you could have told, you could have asked anyone in that, around that town, around that town at that time, have you heard of the God Squad? And they would take a sit there. Oh yeah, yeah. Now people like we were respectable, a respectable kind of outfit, you know. So this this guy one one Sunday, he's sitting in this gangster, he's sitting in his chair on the Sunday service, and this other guy that I had for the first week, he kind of knocks into him as he's sitting down, and the guy who knocked into him, he he did 21 years for murder in prison. And he knocks into this guy. He was from the biggest gangster family in the community. Knocks into this guy. This guy stands to his seat to turn around, you know, as if, as if to say, you just put, knock my seat. And as he looks up, he sees him. He's like, Johnny. And he's like, Davey. And he's like hugging because <laughs> they were all pals, you know what I mean? They used to like hang out together and take drugs together and all this kind of stuff, you know. So uh, this is the kind of situations that we had. We had. I remember one guy, the local gangsters, drove into the, the car park after a Sunday service driving around the car park looking for a guy they were after because they, they knew that he would be part of our gang uh, in church. So this is the kind of exciting stuff that we had going on, but it's kind of real. It's messy, but it's beautiful, you know. It's a beautiful mess, I believe. So this is kind of how it was going, and, and um, so I invited these guys to my home. Everybody came to my home every Thursday night. Janet, 
her daughter Tanya and her son Neil all got gloriously saved, the whole family. So they began, began coming to group and to, and to church for a few months. And they told me, she told me about her husband, Neil. Janet said, look, my husband, he's not very keen uh, uh, about what you're doing. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, he thinks you're brainwashing us. I'm like, that's okay. Let me meet the guy. And she's like, no, no, you, you don't want to meet him. I'm like, no, I would really like to meet him. She's like, no, you don't. Trust me, you don't want to meet him. So she wouldn't tell me anymore. And, and then one day I got to meet him and I realized why she didn't want me to meet him. So I... I, I I gave her, a, we used to pick people up, give them rides and stuff if they didn't have a car. So we go to her like project, she lived in this like project, uh, and I go and pick, him, pick her up. And I had a guy in the car with me in the passenger seat who's a two-week-old believer. So we sat there, and then the family get in the car uh, like they always do, uh, three of them. And as this week, the, the difference though is the husband, he stands out into the door frame. He says, uh, and he's looking like this, he says, what are you doing? And he starts shouting, and we're like, what do you mean? He's like, I saw you look at me. Did you look at me? And he starts shouting. He's going, I'm going to get into that car. I'm going to smash that window, grab you by the neck and throw you out that car. And he's like going absolutely like a wild animal. But the worst thing is this. He's not talking to me. He's talking to my two-week-old believer. So this is even worse because it's like, you know what I mean? I'm like responsible for this dude. He's like, this is his introduction to Christianity. So this guy's going nuts. He's like, right, that's it, man. I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you. And he's like going like a wild animal. So he begins to like come towards us. And this guy looks like, if you've ever seen the, the movie, uh, I know you wouldn't because you're too holy, but there's this movie like it's a, like American History X or something. It's about this like fascist dude. Well, he looks like him. So he's there like covered in tattoos, shaved head. And, and I'll tell you why this guy's crazy after. But So he comes towards us and his wife gets out the car and is like physically restraining this guy. Because he's going like crazy. So she puts him in the house. And then we get in the car. We drive off a bit shaken. Like, you know, especially this guy. Um, and we get to church. And then she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So like a few days, like a week later, he texts me. I think because he was coaxed by his wife, really. You know, and he says, look, I'm sorry for what, what I did. Come to my home. I want to apologize. So I'm thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. So I go to his home. And I walk in his house, he's like, uh, you know, let me, let's have a cup of tea because we all drink tea all the time, every occasion possible. So we're drinking tea and, and, uh, and we're sat there and it's very awkward because he's just like rambling like nonsensical rubbish and, and I'm sitting there drinking my tea. I'm just waiting for my moment to like to share the gospel, you know. But he doesn't stop talking. He's like, man, he's going on and on and on. Anyway, 10 minutes go by, goes by and I'm like, hey, can I ask you something, man? And he's like, yeah, what? So I showed him my phone. I'm like, uh, have you seen this picture? Do you pray? He's like, oh, whoa, 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 okay, okay, okay. Let me tell you something. You don't come into my home and start preaching at me. You see, football's my church. Now, this guy was a, what we call a soccer hooligan. Now, you see, in, in where I'm from, we have, uh, people are very patriotic about soccer. So what we have, this is legit, like, this is true. We have, each team has a, a gang. And each gang has a, a head of a gang. Now, what these ga- the heads do is they will call uh, the, the, the other head of the gang depending on what you're playing as you travel around they say okay we're going to be here at this time meet here at this time and then like a hundred or more guys will meet and they'll just beat each other up so like it's crazy so uh, it's like a patriot patriotic thing you're like you, you know and whoever's the, the the strongest gang has like a reputation as the the team's strongest kind of gang so my guy neil was the head of a gang of 500 men he was a soccer hooligan. He was orchestrating all the fights. He'd been like in, this, in the thick of this thing for years and years. So this was his background. He was, a, he was part of the, the National Front. 
He was a non-racist, fascist. He was part of the EDL called the English Defense League. This guy, if he saw somebody from a different race in a public place, he'd go and punch them or spit at them. This is the kind of level we're talking. It was crazy. So, so anyway, she, I go to his home. I'm sitting there. I share the pitch. He's like, football's my church, man. And I'm thinking, this is not going to go good. So I just said, no problem. Drink my tea. And then I'm like, anyway, I actually need to go. So I tried to excuse myself to get out of there, you know. And as I'm leaving, I feel like in, in my heart, I'm like, you've got to invite this guy to, to your new believers group. And I'm like, there's no way this guy's coming to my new believers group. Because it was on that night, actually, funny enough. So uh, I'm thinking, there's no way. I know what I'll do. I'll just pray blessing on him. You know, you ever done that? Just pray blessing on him. So, uh, and then get out of there quick, you know. So I did the old pray blessing on him. And uh, I'm like, Lord, just bless him. You know, don't say anything too kind of confrontational. Do you know what I mean? Just keep it nice and toned down. Uh, just bless him, bless his family. Give him a nice life. You know, one of those kind of prayers. And then as I'm leaving, oh, man, as I'm leaving, I'm like, you've got to invite him to group. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, listen, man, I just want to let you know if you ever want to come, uh, you're very welcome. I'll come. He says. I'm like, what's that? He says, yeah, I'll come. Not for, my, not for me, but I'm coming for my wife and kids. I want to know what you're, you're doing in this group. So he comes that night. So it's like the elephant in the room situation, you know what I mean? And honestly, it's like the book of Acts. We've got 19 brand new believers in my living room. You could feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. This guy sit, that sat there, he's got his like, wife-beaten vest on, covered in tattoos, just looking very angry. Sat in the corner, and his wife's in the, his wife sat there, and she's like a mess. She's like, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, relax, he'll be okay. So we begin doing our thing, and we don't tone it down. We do exactly what we do, whether he's here or the Queen of England. We do exactly, we worship God the same. We say the same things. We don't change for anybody. So we're in there. We're praising God. We're doing our thing. Halfway through the evening, he's just sat there. But halfway through the evening, we go into a time of prayer. And we're all praying, and people are praying out loud and this kind of thing. And I, I kind of, through the corner of my eye, I can see him. He's like, you know, moving around in his chair and stuff like this. And, uh, and then he says, okay, what's going on? So people, like, people are praying, and so we're kind of like that, you know? So I'm like, what, what's, what's going, what do you mean? He says, for the past 20 minutes, my whole body's been on fire. What's going on? So now every, everyone's kind of like, do we stop? Are we, kinda, are we still praying, you know what I mean? Is it like... So, so I'm, like, I'm like, what do you mean, man? He says, well, every time I try and fight it, it comes back stronger. What is, what is it? I said, stand up, and we... Stop the meeting right there. I said, stand to your feet. He stood to his feet. I put this card in the hand of a two-week-old believer. Not the guy in the car. He's still shaking. A different guy. <laughs> he would have been like that. So I put it into the hand of another guy. And we walked up to this guy, me and a couple of other guys. Someone got a picture of it. It was a real powerful, beautiful moment. And, and this guy stands up to this man, this hardened, cold and cold-hearted man. He stands up and he just reads this. What is this? It's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, by the way, if, you, if you've forgotten. So he stands there and he reads the gospel. You know what happens? A miracle happens. He says, we're going to, uh, do you want, if Jesus were here, would you let him in? And the guy's like, yeah. And we're like, really? And he's like, yeah. So we pray for him to feel Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit does what he does. And this guy, it's just incredible. His whole face changes. He gets born again right there in that moment. Gives his heart to Jesus in the middle of a new believers group. Gets saved in that moment. Whole face changes. Whole countenance changes. Just beautiful, glorious moment. Imagine what that did to these brand new believers. Like I'm telling you, it's like Book of Acts stuff. You know, you're watching it. You're seeing like what's happening. It's putting a foundation in you to see this is how real. This is Christianity. This is what it should be like. So the guy gets saved uh, amazingly. Four days later, comes to me on the street, says, teach me to do what you do. 
So he, he, he's by my side for one and a half years, by my side, every single day on the streets, voluntarily giving up his day to become an evangelist. Now, what's so amazing about this guy, he was like a fascist, racist, really, really bad. Because his brother had been killed uh, by an Asian drunk driver. This is where it all stemmed from. So anyway, he come, he's walking out of church one day, and he turns to me and says, I forgive them. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, the hate for, for, for other people of other races. I don't feel it anymore. It's gone. I forgive them. I'm like, wow, it's incredible. And then he's like, yeah, but, but I want to, like, bring them to Jesus now. So that was his mission. So he brings Muslims to Jesus. That's his mission. He's like, I'm going after the Muslims. So this guy, like, if he's seen somebody from a different race, he's, like, spitting at you or, or hitting you. Now he's, like, like walking up to you, like, hugging you and, and all this kind of stuff. So I've been with him when he led a Muslim to Jesus. I took him to Birmingham in England, which is, like, you know, a lot of Muslims. And he's, like, with this guy called Muhammad. Leads this guy to, called Muhammad to Jesus. And the guy's, like, you know, the guy's just, like, because you, you, he told him his testimony. And he's, like, you, you were part of the EDL, because the EDL is a big thing, English Defense League. He's like, you were part of that. I can't believe it. And, and, and the guy like gets saved. And so Neil, Janet, the two kids, and Tanya, her boyfriend, who then became her husband, I married them both, and I baptized all five members of that family. Um, and the whole family got turned around. Isn't that incredible, huh? And how did it happen? Just from a simple image. Just from stepping out and saying, God... I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to trust that you're the partner with all the power. And I promise you, if you will only trust, you will see incredible things. You see, he is the one with the power. And wherever there is partnership, there is power. And I believe every day that we're missing opportunities. And I do it too, you know, in my own life, honestly. Like, I'm missing opportunities. But there are so many opportunities that we're missing every single day. Because what we think, we think it has to look a certain way. You know, you like, it has to look like standing on a street being employed by a church, it has to look like official. You don't realize that when you're walking through Walmart, you guys have Walmart here? Yeah, obviously you do. So, so you're walking through Walmart, you don't realize that that's like, that's it right there. That's the opportunities. You go in, like I'm saying, you don't have to leave being a mother or leave being a businessman or, or, or fending for your family. You don't have, it's, it's not one or the other. It's one and the same. You do what you're doing and you share the gospel as you're going. But what we're thinking is we think we have to like put on this special hat and this special, you know, cloak and we become this captain evangelist or whatever. But it's just who you are every day. I was in Walmart seven months ago and I'm, I'm just uh, get, getting some groceries for my wife, you know, being a dutiful husband, just got the list and I'm kind of walking through. And, and my friend was with me also and um, we're just hanging out and making, you know, chatting while we're doing it. So I walk past the aisle, one of the aisles, and I see this big dude. He's got like tattoos and stuff, and I'm like, okay, I want to speak to him. So I feel a little draw to him, you know. So I go over to him, and I'm like, hey, man, hey, can I speak to you? And he's by himself, and, and he's like, what is it? And I'm like, have you seen this picture? Do you pray? He's like, nah. And I kind of walk, he's like, I pray sometimes. So I talk him through a few of the points, and then his wife comes over. She was in a different aisle. She's like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was just showing him this. Can I explain it to you? So I explained to her. Uh, we only got a few points in, and they were like, nah, nah, we're good. We're good. We, we kind of got our own thing with God. We're good. And shut me, shuts us down. So I didn't want to give in there. So I said, hey, man, are you on Facebook to this guy? And he's like, I am, yeah. I'm like, can I get you? And, you know, so we chatted just, you know, making conversation. And, and he knew someone. He had a friend that was from Liverpool where I was from. So we had this kind of little thing. So I'm like, can I get you on Facebook? I want to message you. And if you ever change your mind, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking this. I'm thinking if he's not ready now, you know, let me explain it this way. We have a phrase, 
he share, uh, you share, he shakes. So everyone's like an apple on a tree. And the Lord told me that when you share, I'll shake the tree. You share, I'll shake. So we have this phrase. So I'm thinking if he's not ready to fall as an apple, well, maybe I can, shake a bit, um, I can share a bit more and he can shake a bit more over Facebook. Because God even works over Facebook. It's crazy. So anyway, so he gives me his Facebook name and, and, I, and I say, see you, nice to meet you. I go home and I add him on Facebook and I hear nothing. Like absolutely nothing. Two months later, I get a, a, a text from my pastor at my church. He said, Scott, we just got an email to the church from a lady. She seems very desperate in contacting you. She says, um, my name is Jen. I need to speak to a man, McNamara. We met him in Walmart. This is all the message email said. So I'm like, sweet, give me a number. I'll contact her. So I've got a number. I text her. I'm like, yeah, yeah, who, who are you? She said, do you remember? And I didn't remember. I've got to be honest. I speak to a lot of people. Now, I remember those that accepted the law, but not those that didn't really, you know, because I have a lot of conversations. I said, no, can you remind me? She's like, I didn't remember anyway. So I said, well, that's okay. Why don't you come to church um, on Sunday? This was Friday. Come to church on Sunday and we can chat more. So that was Friday. Sunday morning, there she is on the front row with her son. And then I remember the story. Anyway, this is what transpires. Two weeks after I leave them in Walmart, um, her husband works away all week and comes home weekends. They've only been married one year. Their, workly, their weekly uh, routine, their weekend routine is this. They go to Walmart, he gets a bottle of whiskey, they get a load of drink, and they go home and they just drink it up like all weekend basically. He's home like a Friday evening until Sunday afternoon, so they just party every weekend. That's kind of the way to do it. So this, two weeks after I meet them, they, uh, they get drunk and he hits, he hits her. And then, like, uh, there's this whole crazy scene. He pulls out a gun. The police are called. He gets taken to, to jail. So he gets out of jail, and his wife sits him down. She says, look, this marriage is over unless you speak to somebody about, uh, about this whole thing. You need to open up about what's going on inside. He says, okay. But there's only one person I'll speak to. She says, who is it? He says, Scott. <laughs> She's like, who? He's like, Scott. She's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know any Scots. She's like, the guy from Walmart. She's like, who are you talking? Oh, the guy, the guy from Walmart who got you on Facebook. He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to speak to him. Talk about the law drawing somebody, huh? So let me fast forward. Seven months. These guys are seven months sober. These guys have been totally transformed. Even the kids have been baptized. Whole family has been restored and renewed, and now, this is what's more incre most incredible, now this couple host our new believers group in their home. <laughs> isn't that incredible? So, isn't that, come on. And if you, could, if you see the, uh, if you come to me after, and I'll show you a picture of this guy, just when he got arrested, and then I can show you a picture of him now. Uh, you come and see me after. So that's just when he got arrested. And then now he is like glowing. Uh, but what's really amazing about this whole thing is this. Because when you come to Jesus and he gives you that revelation, then what do you do? You take that revelation and do something. So he's, he goes away, goes back to work, and he's working all week. And what, what's he doing when he's at work? Well, now he's different. So he tells all his workmates about Jesus. Uh, so he's like the boss. He's like one of the bosses. And he's got all these guys. They live in a home, like a house, for like, like five days a week. Uh, he has his own floor and, and all the other workers. So he goes and he's telling them all about Jesus. And he leads like three or four of them to, to the Lord. And then he prays for a different job because he's like, Lord, I don't want to be away from my wife all the time. You know, like we, since we've been married, I, I've never really been home. I'm only home like one or two days. I want to be part of the community. So he prays for a job and we pray for a job. Within like a week or two, he gets a job. 
in the town where we're from, like he works like in California, in the town where we're from, he gets a job doing the same thing, uh, more, more money with one less day. So he's only working, he's only work, he has Friday off and he gets more money into town like 10 minutes from where he lives. And check this out, one of, the, one of the young men he led to Jesus moved with him and now lives right by us and he's discipling this young man and we're about to baptize this young man now. Isn't that incredible? From a family, from, from a, a conversation in Walmart. So what I'm trying to tell you is like this is so available but often we miss it because we're looking for something more. And I'm going to share one more story and then I'll finish. But, but for me, I've got, to, I've got to confess, for me sometimes, I've been, I've been also, I'm guilty also of making that mistake. You see, because sometimes I'm in the zone and I'm, I'm working, I'm doing what I'm doing for God, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. But sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I'm like, man, I, I don't think I've got any words left, you know. Apparently, we have a quota of words. And I think like, men's words are half as what women's are. Which is why, like, you know, you go home and your wife talks to you and a lot of men just grunt. Uh, uh. Uh, uh, hmm. You know, we make noises, but we don't really say much because we've kind of, a lot of the time, we've kind of been at work all day using up our words, you know, our word quota. So I was in France last year and I was at the, in Paris at the airport and I'm super tired. I had like a, a long week in, in, in France training people. I'd use like more than my quota and I'm like, man, I'm going to go to that airport and I'm like, hood's going up, earphones are going on and I, I, you know, I'm off duty kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, just letting the Lord know I'm kind of, you know, the shop's closed. So, but obviously, there's no off duty in the kingdom of God, is there? So I'm sitting there. I'm in the Charles de Gaulle airport. Got the earphones on, the heads, the hoods over my head. I'm just like, man, just chilling, waiting for my gate. Look up, and I get the gate gets called. So I walk to my gate, and I stand there, and I've got, a, I've got one of these. This, this is our label. Now. I've got like a jacket on with Jesus at the door in the back, with the hood up. So I've got my jacket on, and I'm standing there in this line of people. And I just turn around just to see, you know, how big the line is. And there's a lady uh, in her 50s with her daughter behind. And, and she says, hey. And I say, hey. And then I turn around. So I'm waiting for my thing to get, the, the gate to get called, the, the line to go. And as I'm waiting there, they keep us there for about five minutes. Now, as I'm standing there, I feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Has anyone ever felt the nudge where the Lord's like, go on, talk to them? You guys you know what I'm talking about. Has everyone, has anyone, and I know you wouldn't do this because you're far too holy, but has anyone ever felt the nudge and ignored it? Okay. So, now I should know better as well, but I ignored it because I'm tired. Because sometimes, you know, what we do is we let our flesh dictate what our spirit does. So I ignored it and the, the Lord's like, speak to the couple behind. And I'm like, oh. So what you try and do in that moment is you try and pass it off. Like, it's probably not the Lord anyway. You know what I mean? I don't know, I think I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, my head's in that zone. I'm probably just overthinking it. I'm sure they wouldn't be interested anyway, you know. So I don't want to bother them. They're probably having a nice moment stood there, you know, looking at nothing. So, uh, <clears throat> so I ignored it, and then they moved us forward into the, uh, to the, by the plane to the gate. So we go forward, we all move. I'm like, yes, we're moving. I can ignore it, put it, back, put it out my head, you know. And then, uh, you know what I'm talking about. So I get to the, the line, and we're about to go into the plane. They say, sorry, uh, there's a little, uh, a little issue we have to take care of. You have to wait there for 10 minutes. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I'm standing there for 10 minutes, and it's like the minutes are like feeling like hours, you know, because all the while I'm getting, like, the Lord's like, speak to her, speak to her. And I'm like, oh, I just really had no strength. I was like, so anyway, then she taps me on the shoulder. She says, excuse me. So I'm like, take me earphones. I'm like, yeah, yeah, can I help you? 
She's like, uh, I just see your, notice your jacket, you know, your, the, the Jesus logo. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, that's, that's really cool. I like that. I'm like, thank you. Thanks. Hug <laughs> <Head> back on, <laughs> which is really bad. <laughs> and I've got to be honest, I don't really do this, but I was just like, I was just exhausted. I just had nothing to give. So I put the hood back and I carried on. And minutes are going by and I'm like, hurry up. You just get me on that plane. Now, what I'm thinking, in my head, I can see myself on the plane. I've got like, you know, I've got the music on. I've got the, the, you know, that neck pillow, which incidentally, can I just make a comment on neck pillows? I probably brought like three or four of these things in my time. Biggest waste of money ever. (laughs) I think my last one I paid $35 for, right? Every time I fly a lot. Every time I wake up, I wake up like this. (laughs) What good is that doing me? Do you know what I mean? Like a waste of money. But I'm picturing myself on the plane. I've got the neck pillow. I'm cozy. I'm warm. I'm snug. This is like, I'm just like, come on, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And then, uh, and then we get called onto the plane. So I stop and I, I, I put some stuff in my bag and get out, so get out some stuff from my bag. And everybody goes on. So I'm like one of the last on the plane. Get on the plane. And I'm just like looking for my number, you know. And then I, I look and I'm, I'm kind of like three quarters of the way down. And I'm looking and I'm looking. I'm looking, and then I see the, the lady and her, la- and her daughter at the back. I'm like, oh, there's, there's those guys. Uh, and I keep looking and looking and looking. I'm like, no, you've got you to be kidding me. <laughs> so I'm looking, and I'm like, hey, there I am sat next to the two of them. <laughs> now, you couldn't make it up, could you? So I sat down. As soon as I, realized, as soon as I saw them, I realized, I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I immediately told them. I said, look, I should have spoken to you. I'm sorry. And I, I began to share the gospel with them. We had like a three-hour trip from Paris to Belfast, and it was wonderful, special, really, really precious trip. And the lady didn't accept Jesus, which was very close. But she was crying, there was tears shared. It was just a powerful, powerful moment. And then about six months later, I received an email to our website. Now, I want to read that to you guys. So just this, this crazy, crazy encounter, because you just never know what God is doing. She says, hi, Scott, I believe it was you. My daughter and I sat beside in late June on a flight from Paris to Belfast. My previous son, Alexander, had died suddenly and accidentally in September 2017 while my husband and I were traveling on vacation. Our hearts had been shattered and our very close family unit had been forever traumatized by the loss of our fun-loving, hard-working, sweet and sensitive Alexander. We are still in shock and disbelief, although trying to keep each, uh, trying to keep in hope and trusting God as we walk through each day, seeking for strength and courage and acceptance. We had spent four weeks traveling and visiting family and friends, and the entire time not one person prayed with us or acknowledged our loss to the extent that it provided any one of us comfort. It was heartbreaking and disappointing until we met you. We shared our story, and you inspired us with your testimony and your love of Jesus and the gospel and witness to the transformative impact it has had on so many lives. You prayed with us, and from that encounter, we've been so encouraged to just trust and seek an intimate relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. On my son Alexander's headstone, we had a picture of Jesus at the door engraved. You see, the last thing she asked me before she left, she said, can we have your card? I have opened the door to Jesus. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I thank God for the lives you have reached and hearts you have opened. God bless you in your ministry with deepest gratitude. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, carve your name on hearts and not on marble. You know what that lady had done, her son had committed suicide six months before I met her and she was so broken 
by her son's death. They were they were a very um, a very kind of like a, we call them well to do, a very kind of upper class family, uh, a wealthy family. They uh, you know they didn't expect anything like this to happen, and she'd just been longing for some break from this heartache, just crying out to God for something to to ease the pain. How many situations like that are we missing every day where people are just longing for the Jesus that you have, but we miss it because we feel inadequate. We don't feel we have anything to give. We don't feel qualified. We feel that this is not really who I am. That's his job, but I'm just the mom. I'm just the dad or the business guy. We, and we miss all these opportunities because we don't share. And what the Lord's want you to do is to begin to carve your name on hearts. And how do you do it? You do it by just meeting people, by just loving people. So I believe every one of you guys has the potential to have an impact in your city. How many people like Marie, how many people like Jake and Jen, how many people like Neil and Janet, how many of those guys are living in Athens? I guarantee a lot. Just one conversation away from, a, from sitting in your church and, and being a, a life change, from being a transformative story. But it's going to take people to rise up. It's going to take people to stand up and accept the call and say, God, I don't really know what I'm doing, but, I, but I'm willing to go for you. I'm willing to step up for you. So I would like to pray. And I just want to pray for, for two different things because, because I'm an evangelist. I can't, I can't speak without giving an invitation to accept Jesus. So I want to do that also. <clears throat> and then I want to pray for some of you folks if, if you have a desire to, uh, to step into the deep and to leave the shore. But first, I just want to pray, if you, uh, if you don't know Jesus here, if you don't know him in a real way, and let me explain, the best way I can explain that is through this image, you know, this image is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, but the hammer's on the inside, and the idea is that, you know, you maybe pray, but praying is like talking through the door, you know he's there somewhere, but you don't know him personally, and if you visualize a backpack on your back filled with all your sins, would it be heavy? I'm sure for everyone would admit that without Jesus that there'd be something we're carrying in that bag. And that bag represents your debt with God. It stops you having a relationship with him, which is what he wants, not your religion, just your heart. Equally, like if you owed the bank $10,000 and I gave you a check for that amount and you go to deposit the check in your account, what would happen? Your debt would be canceled. And what Jesus did on the cross, he wrote you a check in his blood, not in a pen. Signed it in his blood and he's standing here today wanting you to cash it in. So what I want to ask you is this. If Jesus were here right now, would you let him in? And you say, man, I'm praying. I talk. I pray before I go to bed. I go to church every Sunday. But that's not the same. You see, you can be religious on the outside. I say religion happens on the outside of the door and relationship happens on the inside. Do you really know him? Do you really, really know him? So if he was here right now, would you let him in? I want you to ask you, answer that question to yourself. If Jesus were in front of you right now, would you let him in? Okay. And then I want to ask you this. Can you see the wind? If you stand outside, can you see the wind? You can't see it, but you can feel it. And I believe like the wind, Jesus is here right now. And I want to pray for you to feel his presence if you don't know him. So Holy Spirit, I ask you in this moment, if there's anybody here who, who hasn't been stamped with eternity, I ask you in this moment they would encounter your presence. I pray that they would feel your spirit right now moving over them. I ask you just to wash over them right now in this moment. Show them, though, that you don't want a relationship through a door. Because no one's ever had a relationship through a door. To make it real, we've got to open that door. 
And I pray right now that they would know that you're here in front of them, knocking, and that you love them so much. Just let them feel your presence. Let them feel your love washing over them. Thank you, Jesus, that you love them so much. Now, if you felt his love and you don't know him, then I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to count to three, and I want to ask you to raise your hand. But there's only one condition. Before I do that, there's only one condition, last thing. If you're on the road of your life without Jesus, you're going your way, you've been going on this road all your life without Jesus, he wants you to turn around, change direction, and follow him. That is the only condition. It's called repentance. It means you've got to leave your way and go his way. Because at the moment, you're on the wrong road. You're on the wide road, and that will lead you to destruction, lead you to hell. He wants you to turn around and find the road that leads to life. There's only one condition. You leave your way and go his way. Okay, you ready? One, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for you. Two, he rose again on the third day. And three, he stands at your side right now and says, give me your life. So if that's you, you reach out your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I want you. I want you to take hold of my life. If you don't know him, if you haven't really accepted him, if he hasn't stamped your heart with eternity, then I want to give you this opportunity. Anybody here, you're saying, God, I want to give you my life. Just ignore the person next to you. Don't worry about who's next to you. Do you really know that you know Jesus? If you close your eyes on this earth, do you know that you'll open them face to face with God and you'll say, all is well with my soul? Because life is fragile and we don't know. Just like Alexander, just like Maurice, and we don't know when life's going to end. So if you're here, I want to give you that opportunity. If you don't know him, I encourage you to take hold of this opportunity. Give you a moment longer. Anybody here? You're saying, Jesus is my life. I want to know you. I want to know you. If you feel his presence stirring you, if you feel him stirring your heart, that's him saying, come to me. Give me your surrender. Is there anybody here who feels stirred in, the term, in terms of stepping out, leaving the shore, and wanting to go into the deep? If you're here and you're like, God, I want to do more for you. I want to step into this adventure. I want to leave the shore and come into the, the swell of the storm. I want to walk on water. I want to do what you do. If that's you, I want to pray for you guys. So I'm going to ask you to come to the front, if that's okay. And then uh, just come on, come on down to the front, and we're going to pray for some of you guys. And then I know we have a ministry team to help also with that, don't we? So come on. We'd, like to, we'd love to pray for you. And <clears throat> only, only come if you want to come. There's no pressure. But the truth of it is, is you guys have all been given what you need. You see, when, the, when you received the Holy Spirit, you received boldness from on high. You received power from on high. So you, you already have it. But what we want to do is just ask God to activate something in you today. Because I believe that when I look at the people in this room, I believe that you guys could change this city. Jesus changed the world with 12, 12 fishermen. What could he do with you guys? Huh? He could do so much. But all we have to do is be willing to allow him to, to move in our hearts. Remember, partnership is power. So he's asking you for your partnership. He's got the power. He wants you to bring the partnership. Will you bring it? So just hold out your hands as if to receive a, a gift, and we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we just pray in Jesus' name right now, Lord. I ask you to rest upon every single individual. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you that they have a desire to step into all that you have for them. So right now, in Jesus' name, we just take authority over every fear of man. In the name of Jesus, all fear of man we bind, we silence, rebuke in the name of Jesus, and we just release that boldness. I ask you, Holy Spirit, for the fire of God to fall afresh. I ask you for boldness, Lord, from on high 
in Jesus' name. Breathe upon them, Lord. Lord, I ask you for fresh revelation of who you are. Remind them who you are. Remind them that you're the Messiah. Show them who they are in you, Lord. Just release that fire upon them, I pray, right now in Jesus' name. Boldness. Lord, I just release impartation. All that you put in my heart, Lord, all that you put in my life, I just release upon these ones right now. I ask you for double portion in their life in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. You release your power. I pray fire right now, fire from heaven, fire and boldness in Jesus' name upon them. Thank you, Lord. Receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just fill them right now. Fill them. Maybe some of you guys, you know, you're feeling bad because of those times you've ignored the Lord. I'd encourage you just to repent for that. The times the Holy Spirit's nudged you and said, go and speak to that person. You've ignored it and you've kept ignoring it. You know, eventually it'll get to the point where the Lord won't nudge you anymore because you've chosen to refuse to, to partner. So what I would say is just in your heart, just, just get right with God. Tell him you're sorry for, for the times you've done that and that you want to you wanna begin again. Lord, just release it upon them. We, we want to give you guys all one of our cards, which means you can share the gospel in like two minutes. It's a way you can talk somebody through the gospel in two minutes. It's very simple to do. It's very easy. We want to help you guys in any way we can. So just receive a fresh touch in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, breathe upon them. Thank you, Father. Fill them, Lord. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your presence. In Jesus' name. Fire of God. Burn in their heart, Lord. Burn in their heart in Jesus' name. And however the Lord leads you, however the Lord's touching your heart, I just encourage you to go with that. Just to, to bend accordingly to, to his leading. Don't resist him. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just move upon these people right now? Lord, open their eyes. Show them. Show them the reality, Lord, of eternity. Show them what it is you've called them to. Show them what it is you've put upon their life. Show them that they are the hope of the world in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Fill them, Lord. Fill them with your power. In Jesus' name. Fire of God, burn. Increase your anointing, Lord. Increase your power. Increase it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Release your spirit. Release your power. Thank you, Jesus. Fill it to overflow, Lord. Holy Spirit, fire, Lord, fire, burn, burn away, Lord, burn away all the fear, burn away all the pride, burn away all the feelings that where we're so conscious of looking at ourselves. For some of you guys, the, the problem that you haven't, the reason you haven't partnered is because you've been too busy looking at yourself, and the Lord's like, take your eyes off yourself and start looking at me. If you look at your own weaknesses, if you look at yourself, and then you look at the mountain, how will you ever climb it? You've got to look at something that's bigger than the mountain. And Jesus is bigger than the mountain. Fill